Welcome everyone to the Bath Entrepreneurs Podcast. Today I'm joined by the fantastic entrepreneur Paul Foy, who is the founder and CEO of Rent Guarantor PLC. So thank you very much for joining us, Paul. You're welcome, Neil, and thank you for the uh, glowing, uh, fantastic. I think uh, that's a little bit above and beyond. (laughs) Just to give everyone a bit of a brief background on yourself and the company, could you just look into... um, just like a quick overview of your profile as an entrepreneur and then what exactly Rent Guarantor is. So um, I've always been self-employed and I've always been intrigued by the challenge of challenge. So looking for solutions for unusual situations. So uh, I'm in my 60s now, but I left school in the 70s. And obviously in those days, not a lot of us got education. So in Ireland, where I come from, our equivalent to GCSE is is leaving certificate. So we obtained leaving certificate in, in 1978. And from then onwards, it was a case of find your way, get a job. And you learned really everything you did through the school of life. Um, and I think the early days was very much about trying different things. And I tried many things. Um, and I think that early stage of trying is really important because you get a chance to figure out what you want to do and and what you don't want to do. And what you don't want to do is just as equally as important as what you actually want to do. Uh, And I think it became very clear for me that I always wanted to work for myself. So um, maybe within three or four years, it was as early as that, that I realized I wanted to work for myself. Yeah, wow, that's that's amazing. So what was exactly that made you realize you wanted to to work for yourself? So, my father had a small news agency and I probably cut my teeth from the age of 14 serving behind the counter. And I realized the freedom that that gave me to have flexible hours, um, albeit we work seven days a week. Um, if, if it, you know, I was into my sport, so if I wanted to go and play sport, I could arrange my working hours around sport. Um, and there was always another family member there who would, who would cover for me. Um, so that flexibility was great. And, you know, I don't want to put a downer on people who are in nine to five jobs Monday to Friday and have their annual leave and, and all of that. But when you're a, a, um, a person who just likes to have freedom and freedom of choice in particular, you don't mind committing to, to, you know, to other options because everything you have to do is, is commit, commit to Sunday work, commit to Saturday work, commit to night work. Um, but it gives you the freedom and the flexibility to have a nice lifestyle, uh, which is most important around uh, having a work-life balance. Mm-hmm. So it was in general, I guess, just that freedom of being yourself and, um, yeah, leading yourself in your own path and direction, I guess. So Correct. Correct. Um, just to follow on from this, do you remember what your first venture was into the world of entrepreneurship? I do very well. Um, I obviously was into sport, as I said, so it was very easy for me to look at things like trophy sales. So I set up a trophy retail business uh, for sports trophies and silverware. So all of the local clubs, um, whether they were football or athletics, uh, I was able to tap into those and network with my friends. And I started selling sports trophies at the age of about 18. Um, and then I went on to develop that into a full retail business. Um, and I developed uh, out of that uh, 
an extension of my father, a, another news agency model. So we did news agency, we did sports trophies, and then I extended that further into fishing tackle and believe it or not, ammunition and guns. So that was my first, that was my first venture at the age of 18. Wow, 18 and working with ammunition and guns. How, what, what type of um, environment was that sort of market? Like, I can imagine it's quite tough. Well, in Ireland at the time, uh, we had what was known as the Troubles in Northern Ireland. And, um, you know, ammunition and gun trading was hugely problematic. Uh, so you had to be licensed by the police force. Uh, you had to keep uh, very strenuous logs and you had to record all the sales to whoever the sales were made. And those records were always audited by the local authority. So it was it was pretty difficult at the time. Um, and, you know, it sets you up for things like I'm doing today. It's all about regulation, governance. It's all about the ability to be able to record stuff and, you know, play within the law and, and you know, they're the facts of life, whether we like it or not. We have to abide by rules. Yeah. So obviously, um, with this journey, like you mentioned, you've always been an entrepreneur. You've never worked for anyone else. I can imagine there's a lot of risk um, involved in this because, as people know, startups do fail. And um, the first couple of months, years of a startup could be very challenging. So how how do you keep, firstly, focused on driving this startup from like a little bit of a beginning of the company to then something that's functioning and then therefore reducing the risk involved with it? Yeah, that's a very good question. I think for most entrepreneurs, it's in their DNA. They know that they will take risks, but they don't see the risk. What they see is the opportunity. And the opportunity drives them forward to make decisions. And then it's just a matter of when you're managing the decision-making process, you've got to put in an element of balancing the risk. Uh, that risk sometimes is you have to make a decision, I can't do this today, but I will do it tomorrow or next week. Uh, in some cases, it's basically you have to get third party like a Lloyd's of London underwriting syndicate to back what you do. So there's a whole spectrum of, of, of measuring that risk. Even getting up in the morning, what am I going to do for my day? Can I do what, 100 things or am I better off doing 10? What's the risk of doing 100? Well, I might get a heart attack. So you're trying to balance all the time, whether it's personal or family or whether it's indeed business. But risk reward is, is really what life is about. If you take risks, you get reward, uh, but you have to measure that in a balanced and, and cautious way. Mm -hmm, for sure. So when it comes to um, evaluating the risk reward outlook, how would you typically uh, determine whether the project is actually worth taking so i think for me i do numbers um so basically i like to assess stuff a lot uh, i read a lot i think a lot and of those three things so you know i think reading uh, assessing i think thinking is the most important because if you if you allocate a lot of time to thinking stuff out you will more than likely arrive in a space that you feel comfortable with. It may have risk, but you found that risk to be comfortable. That's uh, a space where you are happy. You will then move forward. Other people may not be comfortable with that risk, but if you've given enough thought and consideration to what you're about to do, more often than not, it's the right thing for you to do. If you don't put thought into it, then 
I think you're more likely to flip a coin and say, will I go heads or tails? And that to me, I think, has been uh, the discerning thing for me, thinking things out, uh, applying time. Today, I'm on an airplane. Uh, most people read on an airplane. Uh, I like looking out the window, looking at the clouds and just thinking. And that gives me a lot of, a lot of um, pleasure, if I'm being honest, because without a thought, you can't have an action. So the thought comes first, the action follows. And, and that's the rule that I kind of work by. Yeah, and I'd assume uh, after a full career of entrepreneurship, you've probably reached a point where it's almost a uh, second instinct now, where you can see an opportunity and just snap at it. Indeed, it's it's something like um, it's something like riding a bike. You know, you always will get on that bike and enjoy it. But when you get off it, even for a week or a month or 20 years, you know how to do it. And instinctively, you're all the time looking for the deal. You're all the time looking for the opportunity. You're all the time looking for, in my case, the solution, because I see what I do as solution focused. So if there's a weakness or, or, or a, a void missing somewhere, for me, the finding the opportunity uh, and, and moving it forward, that's the solution focused way. So talking about spotting the opportunity and spotting the solution, how did the idea for um, Rent Guarantor come about? What was it that triggered the, um, the idea in your mind? So um, there's a little story to this, but um, if you can bear with me, I'll try to make it quickly. Um, all my life, I've been involved in trading businesses, like I've alluded to a few moments ago. Um, I went on to do other trading businesses in the supermarket area, but I always found that um, the you know, the asset, the building that I was trading in was was probably more valuable than the actual business itself of being a, a supermarketer. Um, the the model really was around building a property portfolio in the early years. And I did that quite successfully, both in Ireland and in the UK. And this has led me to look at, again, the weaknesses within the models, uh, particularly in the UK, where I have a portfolio today. And um, out of those weaknesses, I've, I've created what I believe are solutions. Um, and EasyLet, uh, which was the, uh, the company that I created back in 20. 2006, 2007, um, was meant to be a, uh, a place where landlords and tenants could go because I found that there was already um, Zoopla and Rightmove for agents, but there was no place for landlords and no place for tenants. So we built uh, EasyLet out over the number of years and um, we had everything um, scoped and tested and built in our own environment. And again, we tried doing some of this externally uh, and having given a lot of consideration to it, we found, found it better to take stuff in-house. But in 2017, um, we decided that we were going to list the company in, on the stock exchange in London through an IPO. And um, that process led me on the journey of uh, looking again at risk, uh, which we've spoken about a moment ago. And while Easy Let was created we still had a couple of challenges from our friends at EasyJet, and they decided to take some legal challenges, uh, which we happened to, uh, dare I say, win. Uh, and on that basis, we, we, we moved forward for the next couple of years. But when it came to the stock exchange listing, taking things seriously and giving some consideration to that particular process, we decided to take one of our extremely well thought out and, and good services that 
working, which is Rent Guarantor, and we decided to rebrand the company as rentguarantor.com. So um, Rent Guarantor went on to list uh, in December 21, and we're now uh, a fully fledged member of the Aquas market. And we want to now try and grow the business uh, quite aggressively over the next three to five years. So when it comes to listing, what is the actual um, kind of logistical process behind taking your company and going through all, I guess, the regulations and the um, um, funding to put it and list it on the um, Aquas market? Yeah, so there's a number of components to that, Neil. Um, the first one is you have to have an idea that's, you know, going to gain traction and support. Um, and we have proven that as a PLC from 2017 through to 2020. Uh, in early 21, we took the decision we were going to list in 2021. And the process that you embark upon thereafter is, is very much one of regulatory, being able to prove yourself audits, uh, making working cap table reports to stress test the business, uh, not from our point of view, but from the, the corporate advisor point of view. They're trying to get you to think about what you're about to do and make sure that your business is going to be successful on the market. So the, we have a three-stage approach to our business. The first phase is now completed by listing. And I would say that listing for me took a lot of time, a lot of concentration, um, like the word, the words can't or will not or no just don't exist in the vocabulary because every time you're challenged, you have to find a solution. Otherwise, the idea of listing and pushing forward is not going to happen. So um, you you need time for that, and that just took us about seven or eight months to do that. And then I suppose the cost of doing a listing, you have to make sure that you, you've got the capital to do the listing, which fortunately we had, um, because it's not a cheap process. But what it does and what it's certainly doing for our company is it's bringing credibility to our business to say that a little old model that we've created is capable of being uh, on an exchange in London, that we can meet the regulatory requirement to uh, gain application. and over the years ahead keeps the regulatory application very tight within within our environment so making sure that we always have good governance we have balances and checks in place risk again that we spoke about earlier is managed correctly and if you take care of all these things they take care of the business so the business takes care of itself ultimately mm -hmm. so kind of now shifting away from the listing process and more into um, rent guarantor easily as a business. The rental and property market, um, as I'm sure you're aware, has gone through um, quite a bit of, of adversity in the past few years. So obviously we've had Brexit um, and then more recently COVID. So how have you been able to navigate your business through this storm of challenges? Um, I think a couple of key words. Patience is, is a key word. Uh, having the confidence that you always had, believe in the model, don't don't veer from it and i think managing that risk so in our case we have a policy here that we don't take on debt for example so therefore when we come under pressure as we did in, in, a, in a number of particular periods during brexit where revenue drops we're not exposed as a business because we have enough capital to see uh, ourselves through that period so we're capitalized probably for two to three years uh, so therefore we can weather most storms um, so having the vision to see 
you know, potential risk and what you would do to mitigate that risk uh, with an element of patience thrown in there because you cannot swim against the tide. You're not going to succeed. You have to stay calm and just keep going, uh, but with confidence. So always believe in your model, pure belief. Yeah. So just as a kind of um, idea for, I guess, our budding entrepreneurs who are hopefully listening to the podcast, given your experience with um, starting a bunch of businesses, I presume you've also had a lot of experience with raising capital. So is there any advice uh, you would have for um, how an entrepreneur how an entrepreneur could go out and raise capital to help grow their business? Capital raising is, is always a challenge for, for, for every company. And um, in the early days, you will find it difficult. There, there is no point in saying other ways. But unless you believe in what you're doing, it's very difficult for others to believe in you. So having the courage of your conviction, uh, don't be afraid to try things. If they're not working, don't be afraid to change and, and admit they're not working and pivot away to making it work in a different way. Persistence, that's, that comes back up time and time again. Uh, in terms of getting capital uh, itself as pure money, um, I think starting sl- slowly and small with you know family and friends, people who trust you, and then proving that you can um, honor the commitments, whatever they are, uh, to those people, because that builds confidence in future rounds. Because if you, if you borrow £100,000 and you manage to repay it, then the people who are asked to give you two or £300,000 will know that you've repaid your first round of money. And on that basis, you're, you're more likely to, to gain support. Um, I would also say, uh, and this is personal to me, I, I, don't, um, I don't see raising copious amounts of capital as the answer. Uh, you're better off actually to have a tight budget, uh, sometimes running on fumes because it makes you a better company. Uh, you run a tighter operation. Uh, you eke out wastage, uh, which generally isn't isn't there. Uh, for example, I don't have any of the very nice pens that are on the market today. I have the simple old, and I don't know who even gave it to me. So the bottom line on it is that you have to have uh, the tenacity to be able to say lean, mean, and keen all the time. Uh, there's no room for uh, frills and thrills. It's better that you stay that way because being in business, uh, being responsible to your shareholder, being compliant, that's what you need to do. They're the key facts, not wasting money, looking good for the sake of it, and pretending you're doing good business when you're not. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing after 40 years of being an entrepreneur, your family and friends must be used to the the message of the conversation of like, oh, I've got this idea. Uh, I think it would be helpful if you could send over some money. Indeed. And some people, you know, um, they, they come with you for a period in their life and they make money and then they take on their own life and their own journey and their own families, and their own business. And they're not, it's not possible for them to stay with you all the time. But, you know, some of my loyal uh, shareholders are with me 30 years. And we've done a number of different ventures. And as a result, you build a loyal following. And as a result, you get it easier to raise capital. So it follows that as life goes on, things should get easier for you. But you have to stick to those core principles. You know, in my early days, it was all about trading um, uh, groceries. Uh, it then went into trading buildings. But in, you know, the, the, you know since 2000, 2001, 2002, 
it's become a digital era. And certainly since 2010 to today, it's very digitized. So for me, the market has shifted for me where I don't want to be in buildings anymore. Um, I would rather be in a digital space because it's more nimble, it's it's more adaptable. And, you know, for example, in our case, we have an in-house tech team. So if legislation changes, as it has done over the last two or three years, we're able to react to that very quickly because A, it's in-house and B, we're in full control and it's all within a digital environment. Whereas, you know, if you've got a physical building, that building is going to be there for a long time. Uh, probably past my lifetime, but the reality is it's 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 only a building at the end of the day and it can only produce so much in, in the environment that it's in. But the digital environment is, as we can see with cryptocurrencies and blockchain, it allows so many other opportunities for uh, businesses to thrive. Yeah, for sure. I, I guess that's why you're seeing so many of these um, amazing startups coming about in the digital space because it's not only more cost effective, but like you said, it's a more agile um, way of running a business and just super flexible to, to changes in the market. So as we Indeed. are approaching the end of the podcast episode, is there any advice you would like to offer to those young entrepreneurs just about starting their journey? If you think you want to do something, do it. Um, I think in your early years, you must travel because traveling opens your eyes to many different things around the world. Uh, you will settle at some point, some place. Don't worry about that for now. Get the experience of life. Go out and learn from culture, from people. Uh, take that back into your thinking. Apply that thinking diligently and stick to the plan. Um, you won't go too far wrong. You can always waver 10 or 15 percent each way uh, you know i was in physical buildings now i'm in digital but i'm in digital for buildings as opposed to gone off to do something uh, completely different but i think commitment sticking with the story uh, all of those things um don't be afraid to fail uh, if you don't make a mistake you've never learned anything i've probably made more mistakes in my life than i've ever made anything else so those mistakes have taught me a huge amount so I will put it out there that people should try and, and almost nearly try to fail because if you, if you do that, you'll succeed. Yeah, that's such a, like a really good message because obviously, uh, personally, one of the things I find most difficult with is taking that leap into something that I don't feel I could master straight away because that fear of failure, especially with social standards today, is so high. So I guess, yeah, hearing it from someone with all the experience in the world, that failure is the way to success is. Uh, yeah. yeah, no such thing as failure, Neil. It's yeah. just a life experience, sure. simply, simply put. So yeah, thank you very much, Paul, for your time. It's extremely valuable to us. Just to close off, is there any way people could reach out to you, maybe um, get in touch with Renger and have a look at the, the company? Sure. Um, obviously, rentguarantor.com uh, always available 24-7. Um, I will make myself available to you and any of the students that wish to have some conversations. Um, happy to facilitate at any point. Uh, you have my details. Feel free to share them. Yeah, I'll make sure to, to share the LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, on thank all you. The so, yeah, thank you very much, Paul. Um, hope you have a safe flight and a safe journey. You're welcome, Neil. Thank you for this morning. Appreciate the interview. Ciao.